Comedy can be a funny thing. Even as we're laughing at a crazy situation or someone's character foibles, some part of us may be quietly feeling, well, a bit cringy too. Deep down, we might realize that a joke is being made at someone's expense, maybe even at our expense. And when we look back years later, we can see that maybe a funny joke at the time actually influenced us in ways that we didn't understand in that moment, but which we can see really clearly now. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host for The Plugged In Show, focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Thanks for joining us today. This week I came across two fascinating articles that set up what I want to talk about today. And that has to do with how entertainment really shapes the way we see ourselves and the choices we make, and how sometimes that's true even of those creating the TV shows and movies that we watch. The first of these stories involves a woman reflecting on how the character of Fat Monica on the popular series Friends influenced her perception of herself and still invokes a sense of shame decades later. The second involves an actress on a popular show who felt pressure to be like the promiscuous character she played on TV, even though that wasn't who she was in real life. I think we're going to have a great conversation today, so let's dive in. Joining me today for The Plugged In Show are our regulars Bob Hoos, Kristen Smith, and Jonathan McKee, and I'm also excited to introduce you to our Plugged In intern for the summer, Lauren Cook. Hey, Lauren. Glad you're here with us today. Welcome to The Madness. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, Yay. I know that you're going to bring a yes. youthful energy that... Uh, oh, we need it. You know, sometimes the slightly older energy <laughs> yeah. may not have in spades. So, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Jonathan yells at Cloud right now, right? That's right. <laughs> well, to get us started today, here's a question I want to toss out to you. Who is one fictional character that you really identified with either as a child or as a teenager. Who wants to start us off? Okay, today? I'm gonna go first. All right, Kristen. Mine was Lizzie McGuire. Oh, Lizzie McGuire. Good old Hillary Duff. So in school in the seventh grade, uh, one of my friends told me that I looked like her, which obviously was like so flattering, though not right? true. And <laughs> um <laughs> and then of course I wasn't actually allowed to watch the show. I think I've said this before. Because my mom said, you already have a bad attitude and I do not need you watching a show with someone else who has a bad attitude. To which I rolled my eyes and still watched this show elsewhere. So Give, Giving Thanks her all. a bad attitude. Giving yeah. her a bad attitude. This is right. actually the first time she's finding out about that. I know. Yeah. Right. Good old mom. That's right. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so do you feel like in retrospect that it did give you a bad attitude or reinforced your no. natural sassiness? Well, I mean, I can't promise to that. Maybe. But <laughs> I think a lot of it was I didn't have like an older sister as I like guided some of my younger sisters. So like you learn fashion and like all these like some of these life lessons if you don't have an older sibling to teach you kind of from TV or, you know. I so, love that point. Yeah. Okay, I think you're so exactly right. Now our podcast is over because Kristen <laughs> has explained everything we're going to talk about today. There okay. we go. Bob, who did you identify with? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was thinking about that when you brought up the question and there's probably a couple of them but i would my mind goes to james bond i nice. knew you were gonna say that I, I know i know that sounds really weird but uh but yeah i i for better or worse uh and we could probably talk about that later on in our podcast too um i i think uh i think james bond stood out to me and i in fact i this particular icebreaker question, Adam, I think we could spend an entire podcast talking about. Totally. Okay. Just talking about all these people we identified with. But 
I'll leave well, that. Well, maybe we'll circle mine. back to that That's in right. the future and just what people's appetite. <laughs> I'll let somebody go point. on from here. Okay. Yeah. Or or we could just name every single one very quickly, like I'm going to do right? and cheat. Because when I was a kid, it started with the books I was reading, and I wanted to be Encyclopedia Brown nice. because he was so smart. And I just thought it was amazing how he always figured things out. But definitely when I started watching TV, you know, things started to influence more. And I remember going through various phases uh, when I saw the movie Rambo. Of course, I had to be Rambo because he had the knife oh, with all the cool stuff in it. Yep. It was right. like a little the a Bond car in a knife right there, Bob. I mean, it was awesome, <laughs> right. you know. But And then there was a point where I wanted to be Eddie Murphy in Beverly Hills Cop because I snuck to <laughs> saw that movie. And I thought it was really cool the way he got out of every situation. But it finally peaked at Ferris Bueller. Right. Because oh, he was just goodness. so smooth. And I mean, I wanted to be Ferris. Well, That's I, it? I love the tagline for the movie. One man's struggle to take it easy. <laughs> so good. Absolutely. Lauren, what about you? Well, I have always been told that I'm a lot like April Ludgate from the show Parks and oh Recreation. Oh my goodness, yes. Um, <laughs> I think Kristen agrees. Oh, that's so exciting. Go yeah, ahead. So shout out to my ninth grade literature teacher, Mr. Hughes, if you're listening to this, um, that he was the first person ever. He's like, do you watch part of the show Parks and Rec? And I was like, yeah, I love that show. And he was like, you're a lot like April. And I literally thought, I, I was like, oh my gosh, he's calling me mean. Like he thinks that I'm a jerk. Uh, like yeah. he thinks I'm a bad person. But just in the way that she really resorts to like snarkiness and dry humor and sarcasm in pretty much every situation. So I have been told I occasionally come off as mean to people when they first meet me, but I tell them I'm only mean to people that I like. So at least mm-hmm. intentionally. Well, we talked so about it when, when you came in as an intern, we all talked about, man, she is mean. That's right. <laughs> well, she not when nice I'm trying to me. like, see, I was just trying to impress you. It was like, I want them to like me. So right. I, I turned it off for that. Oh, but, okay. um, well, you can turn it back on now. Cause yeah, yeah. Much, much better. We have nothing but meanness for each other <laughs> That's here. That's right. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> well, mine is a, a maybe a bit of an odd one. Um, I, as a very young child, identified with the synthesoid Vision uh, from Marvel Comics. Hmm. Uh, we all know who Vision is now. I'm actually really sad that my superhero friend from 1977 on is now owned by the entire culture because for a long time I felt like he was sort of my own private You were there before it was cool. I was there before it was cool and um, he was sort of emotionally distant and sort of felt like he was on the outside of things and I was an only child and both my parents worked and so I spent a lot of time on my own and uh, weirdly enough as I read Avengers comics, he was the character that I identified with, kind of that outsider. Hmm. So, well, I think it's... that's so touching. I give me some clean. I should have warned you ahead of time. You had me at vision. <laughs> well, I think it's easy to believe that the entertainment we consume doesn't affect us, but the stories we've just told, I think really speak to the fact that we do identify with the characters that we see on television and in movies, even as a part of us says, ah, it's just a TV show. It's just a movie. It's just a song. And how could something that is created to give us a moment of escape or laughter really push us in a truly problematic direction with regard to our beliefs or our behaviors? 
obviously, this is a question that we have talked about on the Plugged In show before. It's one that we talk about a great deal at Plugged In, um, but we keep coming back to it because pop culture keeps coming back to it. And I think we do what we do because we believe the fictional stories we interact with do have the ability to shape and influence our character and our convictions. Um, Sometimes, though, I think it's easier to recognize those dynamics of influence at work in someone else's life in stories that I think could be a catalyst for us to take a look at our own values and beliefs more deeply and just consider how our entertainment choices may have played a role in shaping us. So I want to start today, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, with a friend's character who is kind of strangely or infamously iconic, even though she was only on four episodes. And her name is Fat Monica, and not being the resident Friends expert, I'm going to defer to the Friends experts at the table. Um, Yes, exactly, (laughs) Kristen, thank you. Take it away, (laughs) tell us who Fat Monica is and how she featured on the show. Well, she was Monica before Monica was thin, right? So Monica, her whole life struggled with weight and um, perception of herself. And basically the storyline is that as Monica got older, um, she worked really hard to lose all this weight. And so most of Monica's negative um, perceptions of herself or her memories really reside in in her childhood and growing up as, as someone who struggled with her weight a lot. Okay. And how is Fat Monica depicted when she shows up on the show? Is it uh, usually a, a, nice, a nice depiction? Um, not usually. Yeah. Usually it's uh, Chandler um, making fun of her when there was an episode where Chandler met her and kind of like laughed when she said, I'm Ross's little sister. And he's like, <laughs> okay. You know? <laughs> um, and so it's just like, usually it's something like that. Monica's dancing, you know, and people are making fun of her yeah, nodding towards that. something. Right. Yeah. So well, usually not nice. I, I think it's ironic in a way because I'm sure that the producers put that character on the show to make a point right. about yeah. people's sense of self-worth, mm-hmm. and yet they laughed at that character enough that the people at home found problems in their own self-worth because of that, uh, that character. And I want to circle back to that a little bit later in our conversation because I think the discussion about how laughter disarms us in terms of thinking deeply about... Yeah serious subjects is is part of what I want to talk about today. Well, I came across an article uh, a couple weeks ago in Vogue magazine that deals with the character of Fat Monica. And I confess, I'm not a normal Vogue reader. I just want to really? get that out on the table. <laughs> Shocking. Um, but, you know, the glory of the internet is it's always shooting stuff your way that it mm-hmm. thinks for some reason you might be interested in. And actually, I was interested in this. And I think it's safe to say of all of the Vogue articles I've read in my life, at least three of them. Um, (laughs) I don't read an article from that source expecting to find an extraordinary plugged in point. But this one really had that. Uh, And this is an article by a woman named Emma Spector, and it's called 25 Years Later, Fat Monica Still Hurts My Feelings. And she talks about how she watched it as a little girl, which we could have a, a whole podcast on. Well, this was the first left turn we took and, mm. uh, you know, watching something that was age inappropriate, um, but that it still really influences her today. And so what I want to do is read a, a quote from this article and, and ask you guys to comment on it. She says, quote, Fat Monica was portrayed as little more than a cocoon from which thin Monica emerged. Her weight was played for laughs, kind of as Kristen was talking about, as you might expect on a late 90s sitcom. But it was also used to illustrate 
just how far the Monica that we had come to know on screen had come. When I watched Fat Monica dance on screen while eating a donut as a kid, I knew to laugh, but some part of me was uneasy. After all, didn't the women in my family, the ones I sat around and watched Friends reruns with, have bodies that looked more like Fat Monica's than that of her thin adult self? Even as a skinny kid, I could feel the specter of fat on the horizon, and soon enough it would catch up with me. But back then, Fat Monica was the thing I knew not to let myself become if I wanted to be pretty or admired or asked out by boys. So, okay, what's going on here? Let's unpack this quote. What do you think? Well, I think it's really something she points out that I think is a big problem in like the youth, especially young girls in general, is placing value in being found attractive. You know, it's yeah. placing value in, it's like, oh, I'm pretty because a guy asked me out, not, you know, I'm pretty because like I, I have value, you know, finding that value within yourself. And I mean, she's right. I think that that the idea of fat Monica seems to kind of promote that any body other than, you know, the stick thin like adult Monica body is something Mm -hmm. to be overcome. You know, it's an obstacle that she has to get over. And I think it's it's also really important to note that I think, excuse me again, I'm not a resident friends expert, but I'm pretty sure it's chance she overhears Chandler like making fun of her she like I don't want to stay here with Ross's fat sister yeah that sort of embarrasses her and motivates her into working to lose the weight so and it's only then that she's able to like find self-worth and then you know of course she and Chandler get married later spoilers for this very old show but um (laughs) it's I think really I know sorry spoilers but I I think it's it's really important that's a very important thing in the show that happens and the fact that she finds value in being found attractive. Yeah. And that's a very natural thing, I think, for everyone. Mm-hmm. Every, yeah. Everyone has this idea, this image of attractiveness in their head. Yeah. Right. And if they don't fit that image, then it weighs on them. Mm-hmm. It, it makes a difference and it changes their personality very oftentimes. Yeah. And, you know, my opening question I asked, who did you identify with? And, and obviously identify and identity are words that are closely related. Yeah. And all of us form a sense of who we are when we're pretty young. I mean, obviously that process continues through adolescence, but I think by the time we're in our mid twenties, there are sort of foundational things that are pretty much in place. And if they're unhealthy, it's going to take a lot of work to overcome them. A lot Mm -hmm. of our image perspective can come from our parents and from family members, but we should take into account that, that TV and movies have a big impact on oh, us yeah. in that direction too. Well, and this article shows that. Well, Adam, it's kind of like you said when you, uh, you know, in the opening, you said I was an only child. I spent a lot of time reading comics and stuff. I mean, I think if we all had our way, we would love there to be this this great pool of role models that our kids are hanging out with. You know, uh, people who are good influences and and. Um, and it actually makes us think about, you know, where are our kids hanging out? Who are our kids hanging out with? Yep. But sadly, in today's world and in a world where young people are spending so much time on screens and even carrying those screens around in their back pocket and, and very often the role models they're emulating are those people they see on screens. And what are they learning from those people? Mm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not so sure it's any, I mean, it's a little different now because it's right in front of your face, but I didn't watch a lot of TV growing up. Um, I didn't really have a cell phone until I was like 17. It didn't have internet access. So didn't really count. Yeah, the internet um, didn't exist when Bob and I were yeah. saying. That's right. <laughs> and Jonathan. In fact, so, we didn't have electricity. <laughs> oh, you walked 
walked barefoot, both ways right? yeah, to school, right. pulling yeah. our brothers snow. and sisters mm-hmm. on the yeah. wagon. Yeah, I figured. Uh-huh. Um, but I think one of the things she says is, be, um, I knew not to let myself become like Fat Monica if I wanted to be prettier, admired, or asked out by boys. I remember sitting in middle school, and I'd gone from homeschool to middle school, which is a pretty terrible time to transition into public school. Um, and the group of really pretty popular girls, I was not one of them, didn't really eat. They ate like chips and mm. drank something and like chilled at the table and talked. And I remember looking at them thinking, okay, obviously all the boys likes this like group of girls are very popular. Maybe it's because they're not eating a lot and they're really skinny. Mm. And I remember starting in the seventh grade. I so would even just, in seventh grade, you, yeah, were, you were observing that. I was. And I would just get chips and something to drink. And then I'd go home and eat because I was starving because that's not normal um, to do that all day long. And that sort of like body dysmorphia eating disorder thing carried on with me into college until it was something that I had to like really confront. Like my relationship with food is not healthy. Hmm, And that's something that I think is really starting to hopefully shift now in culture where there's a lot of body positivity. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, like we have to toe the line of like being healthy, but there's a lot of body positivity now, which is something that you really didn't see a long time ago. And I think it's also not helpful that be like what you're talking about. Like I definitely observed that in like middle and high school too. girls just like wouldn't eat their lunch. They just throw it away and then like go home. Um, but because in a lot of movies and TV, we see these like stick thin people that yeah. we associate with being, we see that so often we think it's normal. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, oh, there's a movie that came out a couple years ago with Amy Schumer. And, oh, like, I loved I, it. The... I, feel, I feel pretty. Oh, no, okay. Okay. Well, I, I remember because Amy Schumer has made sort of a lot of her comedy comes from like, oh, I'm like fat and oh, I'm overweight and that's okay. Like Amy Schumer is not she's not like unhealthily overweight she's just a normal person she's yeah. a normal body yeah. but yeah. for a young girl like, i remember hearing her say that in like middle and high school i mean i didn't really listen to her often but i i mean i yeah. i heard her say That's that probably good but, yeah i'm not the biggest <laughs> amy schumer fan but um i would hear her say that like oh she's fat so like you know it, it's you sort of make that association like your scale is so skewed of what's a normal body and what isn't mm-hmm. yeah and, and hollywood has done that for years and oh, years yeah. and yeah. years i mean i i remember there was a movie early 2000s called Love Actually mm-hmm. yes. that had other problems of its own. But uh, <laughs> but one of the things that struck me when I watched that film, there was this character in there. Um, I think her name was Natalie or something. She was like an assistant to the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And there were all these fat jokes about her. And she wasn't fat mm-hmm. in the slightest. I mean, mm-hmm. she yeah. was just a pretty young woman. And yet everybody was continuing to batter her with these heavy jokes yeah and i thought man why is it that hollywood wants to push that kind of thing and you know and also when we're talking about weight and image it's not just women oh yeah right? oh for you sure know, yeah. g- guys are impacted by these things too well bob you and i were 100%. talking even before we got started on our discussion today about dave bautista yeah mm-hmm. who's a former pro wrestler who plays drax the destroyer and is shirtless and painted purple in the Guardians of the Galaxy right. movies. And he basically said, I can't keep playing this role because I can't keep up the body I need to have to be on camera shirtless the, shirt the entire there. time. Yeah. And you know what? And it's interesting because as we're talking about this, all these things are true, but I think I'm almost impacted a little more not by these messages that are being conveyed because there's all kinds of messages that are being conveyed from Hollywood uh, that are very unhealthy. I think it's the impact 
that it has on young viewers. And I go back to Kristen's story. She shared several podcasts ago when we were talking about the impact of entertainment media, where when she was watching uh, Bring It On and she watched a girl brush her teeth <laughs> and Kristen changed the way she brushed her teeth for life. <laughs> that, that story impacted yep. me, Kristen. No, but I mean, it's so true that very often we see something on a screen and we see, you know, somebody making fun of someone for something or we see them, you know, portraying a certain lifestyle. And very often we look at that and think, I want to be that. Right. And, and it's powerful and it affects us. It changes the way we brush our teeth. Well, and those images <laughs> and those ideas go in. Yep. Uh, this is a, a bit of a tangent, and then I promise I will reel us back into the real <laughs> conversation. <laughs> but I have talked on the podcast before about seeing the commercial for the ridiculous documentary and hopefully you can see the air quotes with the way I pronounce the word documentary Bigfoot the mysterious monster in 1976 <laughs> and I saw it as a five-year-old saw the commercial I never saw the movie I saw the commercial two or three times and there's a horrifying scene in the commercial of these big hairy arms coming through a window to two people on a couch last night Last night, I had a nightmare about that. Oh, my goodness. And so I don't think I have been cogitating or anxious about Bigfoot like consciously in a long time. But my subconscious brain, maybe I need to sleep more, yeah. reached back to when oh I was goodness. five. And I'm almost 51 now. So 45 years day. later, that image is still lurking literally in the back of my self-conscious well, well maybe it's a self-image thing you know? right you, you actually exactly. see yourself as the bigfoot now you know you know um i mentioned i don't back, <laughs> back when we were doing the icebreaker i mentioned uh that james bond i sort of looked yeah. up to james bond as a kid you know uh i didn't say this but the you should say it now i'll say it now <laughs> um the, the, when i was a young man there was a, a young woman that i knew who said to me you know you're kind of like a James Bond guy, aren't you? And at the time, I took it as a real compliment. Right. I remember I was puffing my chest out and thinking, yeah. <laughs> but the fact is, I don't, as I've thought about it lately, I'm not sure she meant it as a compliment. Right. I mean, the fact is that there are a lot of things in some of these characters that we see on screens, especially men characters, that aren't necessarily something you want to emulate. No. And, and there was a lot about James Bond that I probably shouldn't have emulated. Yeah, you know, and, and that I think, as we're talking about comedy, one of the things comedy does, and I mentioned this earlier, yeah. is it disarms us from thinking about what's being made fun of. Because comedy is almost always, especially in sitcoms, it's usually at someone's expense. right? And usually somebody is paying the price for a bad decision they've made or they've tried to cover something up and it's situational comedy, right? It's like, we're going to take this situation and we're basically going to make fun of you for it. And mm -hmm. I think I was never a big friends fan. And I think I'm not a big sitcom fan because the situations that it, they asked me to laugh at often make me cringy. But I think the reality is that comedy sort of short circuits our critical thinking yeah. because it's hard to say, What's the worldview here when you're laughing at a fat Monica right, joke, right. you know? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, for anybody who's actually been in a room where you've been made fun of by others, uh, there's nothing more horrifying than everybody laughing at you. It's the worst. And right. when you're watching a show 
where everybody is laughing at a certain person for a certain obvious character trait, Mm -hmm. then the last thing you ever want to be is that character trait. And so it's frightening and it becomes something that's very motivating. And, and that's where this article really nailed it. This article really showed that point of view of, I saw that and everybody there was laughing and making fun of this. And she made that short little hop to, I don't want to be that. Yep. And I think a lot of times, a lot of comedy gets away with like blatantly making fun of people because there's like, oh, it's satirical. You know, it's satir- right. like yeah. the reason The Office was able to do this like for oh, nine seasons goodness, because yes. like, oh, well, like, like Michael is being stupid. And, you yeah. know, so we're, we're actually laughing at Michael, laughing at somebody else, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, whether that works or not is right. You know, it's for kind of meta a little bit. Yeah. So. But the fact remains, you're still, you know, he makes so many fat jokes throughout that show. You know, he makes fun of all the, like, overweight people in the office. And he, again, they can get away with it because, like, oh, we know he's being ridiculous. But he's still making those jokes, and and that's still having an influence on the people watching. Mm -hmm. Well, we often talk about how media influences us. But I came across another article this week. This one's really good. That (laughs) I thought, oh, man, this is, it made me deeply sad. But I thought it was really revealing Um, And I'll just read this quote. Um, And it's from Misha Barton. She starred on the OC back Mm -hmm. in the early 2000s. And this was a huge show. It was an incredibly influential show, basically about really pampered, spoiled, mostly badly behaving teens in Orange County. That's the OC. Um, And the interesting thing was she plays kind of the wild child promiscuous character. But when she started playing that role at the age of 18, she was a virgin. And so uh, in the UK version of Harper's Bazaar, which again, I don't read, but came across that this week, <laughs> she said, quote, even being a virgin at the time in that context made me feel like a fraud. The kids in the show were quintessential rich, privileged American teenagers drinking, taking drugs, and of course, having sex. I knew it was important to get this thing, my virginity, that was looming over me, the elephant in the room, if you will, out of the way. Uh, And eventually she goes on to say she basically allowed herself to be taken advantage of by a much older guy Mm. just to sort of get it over with. And then she had regrets and eventually described that as a a really toxic relationship. So what do you think about Misha Barton's admission here about how the character she was playing influenced her real life decisions? I really love that she's so willing to talk about this because there are things like, isn't it Euphoria? Mm-hmm. Is that the new one? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Um, and what I just watched another show. Of course, it was on HBO, but it doesn't have to be HBO. It can be the CW or really anything. Oof, the CW. Right. Oof, where you're the taking, CW. We'll pray for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking these teens and they really portray teenagers as extremely promiscuous mm-hmm. and everything is so like to the edge and if they do drugs, it's not just one drug. It's a lot of drugs. If they have sex once, it's not just that. It's like, you know, so everything is like so amplified. Yeah. And it's not that there aren't people that live their lives that way. I'm sure that there are. And I, as a teacher, I knew a lot of kids who didn't have good parental influences, which would be the big key here, um, that lived lives that they didn't need to be living and will probably, you know, like reap those consequences later. But um, we don't see, and we've talked about this before, we don't see that in Hollywood. You don't see the consequences. You really just see them doing whatever they want. And I love that she's willing to talk about, you know, this was toxic and I'm sure really affected her much later in life. 
Yeah, this plays into, I think, a much larger issue, which I'm very passionate about. So forgive me for stepping on a soapbox for a second. But <laughs> the portrayal of young adulthood in media is just so ridiculous. Like you were talking it about, Chris, and yeah. it's just, Amen. it's so unrealistic and it's setting these um, terrible expectations, unrealistic expectations for um, young children who are watching these shows. Like, oh, I'm supposed to look like that when mm-hmm. I get into high school. I'm supposed to act like that, which is just ridiculous. Of course, you're not supposed to. And it, I think a big part of this problem is the fact that we're casting like 25 and 30 year olds to play these 15 year olds i mean the cw is a huge problem with this i mean like riverdale i mean i think cole sprouse was like 25 when he and you wonder why you're like i didn't look like that at 16 well he's not 16 i know just going back to these like turns out he's a robot too. oh (laughs) yeah he'll be 25 forever yeah right i mean just going back to these um like body issues and and perception issues of how we look because these kids they don't look like these 30 year olds when they go to high school because of course they don't and so they feel like they're doing something wrong Mm, that's good lauren you're so right and there's so much pressure i feel for young girls to be sexy and to feel sexy and to look like that image that they're seeing on you know riverdale um the american psychological association released a report a few years back and it was titled the sexualization of girls and they defined it they said when a person's value comes only from his or her sexual appeal or behavior to the exclusion of other characteristics Mm -hmm. and when they're objectified and it was fascinating because here's a report saying hey listen it doesn't matter if you know you play the piano real well it doesn't matter if you're a great leader if you have good grades if you have an incredible potential forget that do you look good in a bikini? That's what matters. And, and I don't and personally, they, but I'm, they it's go, a good and question. they go on and I'm glad I haven't seen you in one. And the uh-huh. thing is, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we put this pressure on young people for their looks. Mm. And sadly, the American Psychological Association report goes on to talk about what that does to our psyche and what that does. Cause when we feel like I don't measure up, I'm not sexy enough. So we try harder and we act out. Um, and bottom line is w- those images we're seeing absolutely do affect us. So we need to be careful. We need to talk about this as parents with our kids and talk about what we're watching and how that makes us feel and how it affects us. So much of this, and I really believe this, is self-worth that you learn as a young girl. Mm -hmm. If we're just talking about girls, I know that this spans across to guys too, but that you learn as a young girl that I really believe is influenced a lot by a father figure. Mm -hmm. And so I saw a lot of this teaching. A lot of these girls did not have father figures in the home. Now, it does not mean that a single mom can't help this, but so much of what a dad's role is, is showing what you deserve who can i be that shows you when you're older you can find someone that treats you as good as i treat you that loves Mm. you as much as i love you and so i think a lot of not only it's terrible now because hollywood has done this thing where they've made men laughable Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous especially fathers especially fathers who wants to be married to someone like that who wants a dad like that it's fine if you're funny but there's no like these masculine traits, like they're shamed and you can't be masculine because, oh, you know, like hashtag toxic masculinity, like calm down. Like there's a line. It's ridiculous. Kristen says hashtag calm down. <laughs> yes. But they've done this thing. And then, of course, like you see this reflection in young women where we're just kind of if it's like a bucking of the system and you're just saying, well, I'm going to do whatever now because I wasn't raised with this. Right 
with this figure that really helped to shape my self-image and my self-worth. And it's so important. Mm. And I think one of the things that it brought up was the Cuties movie, mm. you know, Oof. that Netflix put yeah. out. I reviewed it and we, we talked a lot about it. I think, I'm sure we did a whole podcast about it mm-hmm. 700 years ago. I can't remember. but <laughs> It was um, just last year, but with oh, COVID, okay, it just feels last like year, yeah. years. One of the things was, you know, there was these young girls watching these music videos of other girls twerking. And they were really young. They were like 11. Um, and of course, they're emulating the behaviors. Because as you said, Jonathan, this is what has Hollywood has said, like, this is the standard. And so they started to emulate that behavior. And so I just, it's so interesting that it really does like a full circle. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think as parents, obviously, we want to help our kids learn how to think through these things for themselves. We want not just to protect them from things that are age inappropriate, which sometimes it feels like everything is age inappropriate, mm-hmm. sometimes. but to equip them with the skills that they need um, to think critically and biblically about these things for themselves. So here's where I want to stick the landing on our conversation today. Um, as we do that with our kids, and that means actually watching stuff with them and doing the work to engage them in a conversation. And my 12-year-old daughter right now, when I ask her a question, I get one of two responses. Usually she just doesn't even acknowledge that I've asked a question or she'll roll her eyes. So if you have teens, you may have to press through their resistance, right? Uh, And say, you know what? No, we're really going to talk about this. But here are some questions that we can ask as a family about the things that we're watching. We can ask, what is this show or movie inviting us to laugh at? Is it at someone's expense in a mean-spirited or stereotyping way? Another question we can ask is this. What choices or behavior does a show or movie glorify in a way that makes them seem normal or appealing? And I think this is a really good question for the kind of shows we're talking about on the CW because it's suggesting, or even, you know, the OC to go back to Misha Barton. Yeah. You know, she's saying, this is what normal teenager dumb looks like. You know, you have Mm. sex, you take drugs, you party, you do all this stuff. And as Kristen noted, not all teenagers and probably even not most teenagers are actually living that way. Uh, And then a final set of questions is this. What do you think would happen in real life if you did the same things the characters did? What would the consequences be? And sometimes there are consequences on these shows, but oftentimes we get characters and I think we especially saw this on friends, not to pick on friends, but to pick on friends, you know, (laughs) they were almost all promiscuous and with rare exceptions, there were never any consequences for that behavior. It was just, it was a joke. We were invited to laugh at their promiscuity. Well, we hope that the plugged in show can be a catalyst for conversation in your family, with your friends, and also maybe with us. So this week, we would love to hear from you regarding this specific question. What TV show or movie influenced you when you were younger? Who did you identify with and how did it shape your choices or your sense of identity? Let us know at our Facebook page or on our Instagram page, which you'll find at Plugged In Team. And we'd love to keep this conversation going with you. We hope that you have enjoyed our time talking through these things today continuing to think about how pop culture can influence us, especially when we're young. And as our thanks for being a part of the Plugged In Show family, today for a gift of any amount, we would love to send you a copy of Paul Acey's book, Burning Bush 2.0, How Pop Culture Replaced the Prophet. 
You'll find a link to order that book in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on the plugged in blog entry for today's conversation. Or just give us a call at 800-A-FAMILY. Well, as always, thanks so much for spending time with us today. We enjoy talking with you every week and we appreciate that you are carving out time to join us. We look forward to connecting with you again next week on another episode of The Plugged In Show. Oh, 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 oh